Mindfulness Mode 190. What the water did is the water reminded me of heaven. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many ways mindfulness has impacted their lives. And mindfulness has definitely affected my guest's life today. She died and 90 minutes later was revived and she's here to tell about it. She was on life support. She was on uh, an artificial heart. She has so much to share and so much insight into meditation and mindfulness. You're really going to enjoy this episode, I'm sure. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Sherry today. Okay, Mindful Tribe, I am really excited and honored because today I have Sherry Amay on the line. Hey, Sherry, are you in mindfulness mode? Yes, I am, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Sherry runs mastermind retreats around the world and mentors emerging leaders who want to create massive impact. She's personally been through major health crises, including a near-death experience where her heart flatlined for 90 minutes. A team of 100 doctors and surgeons at a cost of $3 million helped bring her back to the healthy, mindful, vibrant life she now enjoys. Her story has been shared extensively, including being featured on the History Channel. So Sherry, tell me, what does mindfulness mean to you? For me, mindfulness means getting centered with with your soul, your soul essence, so the, the true nature of who you are, I would say. The true nature of who you are. And can you tell us the true nature of who you are, Sherry? The true nature of who I am is, is at the core is pure, pure love. Um, and... It's, you know, to just dive right in, you know, to start with that can can sound for some people um, a little bit out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it really is the truth. It really is the core of of who we are. Um, you know, I think I think for so many of us, it's hard to connect to that all the time because our minds are are wired and programmed to feel not good enough, not worthy enough, to doubt ourselves, to doubt who we are, to to be confused over what our purpose here is even on this planet. And our brains can play these tricks on us um, that takes us out of that that core feeling that we all have if we get quiet long enough where we know that at the heart of who we are no matter who we are on this planet no matter what we've done in our past um we all have this ability to get quiet and tune in to the truth and that is that at the center of everything we all know we are a good person we all know that we are a kind person. We all want to feel love and we all want to be love. 
Um, so it, it's not as airy fairy as it is, but sometimes when that thought comes in your mind, it's literally your brain saying it can't, it can't be that simple. Life can't be that simple. Um, the equation of life can't be that simple. So, um, it, it, it really is the essence of not just me, but everybody, every soul on this planet. Well, you have been through so many challenges, a lot of health challenges. And how do you come through all that and still maintain the mindfulness that helps you to believe that you truly are good and kind and here to help others? You know, it it, it can be challenging. Absolutely. It has been a journey for me. You're right. It's definitely been a journey it's been at least an eight-year journey of extreme um, health challenges, um, anywhere from cancer to, you know, the day I died and I flatlined. Um, and then literally these past six years that it's taken for these doctors to bring me back to life, literally. Um, and it required four and a half years of living, uh, you know, on a bionic heart, which was um, terrifying. So, um I've I've definitely been through years of a heightened level of fear, you know, normal than your average um, person, at least, you know, living here, you know, where, where we are in the United States. And, you know, situations like that can, can really break you or you can allow them to almost break you open in order to to allow that true essence of you to come through. What I really had to do in the midst of everything is when things got noisy, when things got scary, when fear felt like it was choking me, what I discovered, and this was a hard leap, Bruce, <laughs> this mm -hmm. was a hard leap, but at some point in my journey, and I, I, I know exactly at what point it was, but I realized that when I found a place where I got quiet enough, and it happened to be the lake, okay. and, it, and it was during the time where I was on the bionic heart, which is actually just for the record for everybody that knows, um, it's called an LVAD, it's L-V-A-D, it's a left ventricular assist device. And it is a device that is saving thousands of lives around the world. And what it does is it, it acts, um, it assists your heart. So if you're in end stage heart failure, it actually is a motor. It's a titanium pump that goes in and literally can, can bypass um, functions of your heart and help deliver the bl oxygenated blood into your body. So I lived on this for four and a half years and, you know, it's a machine. So it's, um, thankfully it's portable. So I was able to go home with it, but it's heavy. It's cumbersome. It's frightening. Um, it's new. It's the unknown. Um, and let alone it's now a computer keeping you alive. So the, the, the mind challenge was extreme. <laughs> I can and believe it. Yes. And so it was on those four and a half years of 
you know, not just physically recovering because I, I literally had to rebuild my entire body. I was in a coma for so many months, but I just remember those years of trying to figure out how was I going to make the most of my life with this computer sitting on my lap every single day. And did you take that with you and sit by the lake on a regular basis? Yes. I literally went every single day. And you found your peace there. Tell us about that. It was so, uh, it's so funny that you're asking me this because I'm getting like tears already in my eyes because I've never shared this before with anybody. It was so beautiful. It literally... What it what the water did is the water reminded me of heaven, of what I experienced during those 90 minutes where I flatlined. Um, there's parts of my journey into heaven where I actually found myself underwater. So water played a massive, massive role in um, what I experienced in heaven. And so when I got back here and was confused out of my mind, I mean, the first few years after my journey into heaven, I was like, what world is this? It, it felt so limiting. I can believe uh, it. I can believe it. And how yeah. did you overcome that feeling that you were being limited? It, it literally was sitting by that lake. It, it, what it did was the lake not only reminded me of heaven, it reminded me of the expansiveness of our true nature, of our souls, that we have no limits because I had no limit um, in heaven. I was free. I, I know that feeling now. I have that reference point. Even though I'm back here in 3D reality, I have the reference of not feeling weighed down by the burdens of life. And did you meditate there by the lake? I did. Um, and for me, meditation um, is probably very different from a lot of other people right now. So a lot of people that are new to meditating, um, they can struggle at first because they think it's like something they have to do, yes. <laughs> right? Instead of just kind of like letting go. <laughs> yes, I hear that from my coaching clients. Yes, I do. Do you? Okay, yeah. So you know what I mean. And so I, I it's a combination between I, I've been meditating most of my life. So way before um, probably I started, um, let me think, I probably started 12 years before I died. Okay. So I, I'm very familiar with, you know, being able to relax and let go. I was in advertising for years. So um, it was a critical part of my own health and success for me to be able to wind down my mind um, when I wasn't working or even in between working. So it's not, I wasn't uh, new to meditation, but what happens after heaven is that you're, you've already been thrown into, like I said, what it feels like to not have a body, what it feels like to be free of the stress, the doubt, the burdens, um, the to-do list, the deadlines, all the things that really weigh our souls down every day. Um, I know what it's like to be free of that. And so what happens is it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I could be doing the dishes. Um, 
And I, all I need to do because I have that reference point is get myself back into that feeling of being light. So for me at this point now, it can be as simple as just, um, driving and, and certainly absolutely the moment I arrive at a lake and there's water in front of me, I'm already in meditation mode. So it's, it's more me when I meditate, it's more me tapping in or tuning into the vibrations around me. And what's really brilliant about that is it's a skill that I think as you get to, as you practice more and more meditating uh, and you realize it's more about letting go than actually doing something, what it allowed me to do is it allowed me to get in a state of meditation and in that zone, even on life support. So even during those three uh, months, four months that I was hooked up to life support in and out of a coma, um, you know, I had multiple surgeries. I mean, and not even just the surgeries. I mean, people have no idea what happens after, you know, once you're on life support, then you get, then you need the process of coming off of everything. Right. Of, and the mindset of dealing with that is yes. huge. So oh, you, yeah. you meditated, you thought about those voices in your head and how did you keep it all on an even level so you could just move forward? Yeah. So I, I definitely, um, I do this thing where I, um, well, when it's very challenging, like let's say life support, right? Mm -hmm. Or let's say somebody in your audience is um, going through a tough time right now. Yes. Um, so what I will do is I will use visualization a lot. So okay. if, if I can't physically get to a lake to get my vibration in that frequency often, right? So the key, yes. the key with meditation is to get yourself in that uh, frequency often so that your body will naturally go there on its own. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes. So, and we can go into that a little bit deeper too. Um, but just to get back to the, the point of how, um, I, in the ICU, I didn't have all of that. I didn't, I couldn't leave, you know, the room. I, I couldn't even get out of bed to even see nature. Right. So what I would do is I would actually have them, you know, in the hospital, they give you these pink uh, basins <laughs> okay. like, like to like, you know, for bathing and brushing your teeth and stuff like that. And um, and I would actually have the nurses fill it with water. And um, and I knew enough to know to, you know, have my husband bring some lavender essential oils which lavender is very good for calming and quieting the mind, including helping you sleep at night. Um, so lavender oil was like literally key. Like my husband had to have that and everybody knew they had to put that on me before bed and stuff like that. So I could actually mm -hmm. sleep in the midst of an ICU. Um, but it was enough even to have water in the basin and if I could just dangle my fingers in there, because again, I was flat, you know, in a bed, couldn't move. Right. So if I just dangled my fingers in the water in the basin and closed my eyes and then imagined myself sitting at my favorite lake, 
when I did that long enough, I actually, it would take me out of the ICU and I would literally be at the lake. And it became this safe haven for me. So when people ask me, you know, how do I meditate or where do I meditate? I, because I've had to put it to the test under such dire conditions, um, I can meditate in the noisiest of rooms. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really can. I can get in that zone of silence even amidst the noise. Wow. And just as you were telling me that, I just felt this sense of peace come across me, you know, just as you're describing it. Sherry, I want to go back, if you will, to your childhood. Tell us what kind of a girl you were. What senses of peace did you have back then or what sense of mindfulness? Yeah. Um, Ever since I could remember, I was very, very, uh, I was a very sensitive child like extremely sensitive. My emotions were sensitive. Um, I could feel other people's energies when I was little. And I, I was so young. Mm-hmm. I, I thought everybody was that heightened. <laughs> like, right. you know, I really did. And so um, I was somebody, I, I was very shy. I, I, I was very friendly. Um, I, similar personality now, but not as outgoing, right? Because I was very right. shy. Yes. Um, and I, I had a mother that was way more outgoing. And so it, she kind of like took the spotlight and I, I just was kind of like, I would stay quiet. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, I, I was very introverted and shy. I like to draw a lot. So I, I definitely, I liked to be in my creative zone and, um, but like I said, I could, I, I really could sense people's energies. I could feel like when they were upset and I could feel when, when somebody was stressed, like it hurt my heart. Like I, I just had no boundaries. I felt, uh, everything. And, and I didn't know how to process a lot of that. Um, I would have friends sometimes and you know, how like, um, you know, even when you're young, people, they lie sometimes or they tell white lies and stuff like right. that. And it really wasn't until I got to be a teenager that I started to say, something's going on here. I literally know when somebody's lying. I, I just, it, it's like this lightning bolt goes through my body when I don't even care if they're telling a white lie. I just know, like, it's literally impossible to lie around me. I may not say anything and I may not um, show it uh, or give any hints that I get it, that I know. Um, but it's, it's, a, um, it's a tough thing that I had growing up because I always knew when someone was lying. And when I would challenge them, they would kind of freak out and lose it. And I would be like, but it's so obvious. Why don't you just admit it? Right. And And then I would turn to somebody else and I'd be like, you know, they're lying, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? You think? Right. And (laughs) And they didn't know. They didn't know. And I, I, and there was this frustration for years until I really realized, wow, I have this 
amazing ability to tune into energy levels. And I can sense like when somebody's lying, what it feels like in my body is, um, when somebody lies, like I can feel energy. So I can feel if I'm talking to somebody, I can feel your energy. Um, so I always know like if something's wrong or whatever. And when somebody is lying to me, their energy drops. And like, it's almost like I can just see it. And when it drops, it drops so fast that it drops. Like I feel it in my body. So it feels like this energy shift goes right through my stomach and right through my feet. And I've had it ever since I was little and it's never wrong. (laughs) Like it's just never wrong. And, um, and I think I just realize it now. And, and I think, um, what's interesting is I, I don't get that a lot now. And, and I, and I, and I want to share this because I think for what I've learned, especially in being, uh, having this illness and, and having, uh, you know, there's parts of my story where I share, where I, I mentioned that a lot of my long-term friends, uh, and family were actually not supportive of me while I was sick. And it was very emotional. It was a tough time for me to even handle that and to adjust to that. I'm like, I know these people for 14, 20 years, um, why are they not here for me? You know, at at a time that I need it most, I'm fighting for my life. And, um, I realized that just because somebody has been in your life for 20 years doesn't necessarily mean they have been a good relationship for you. Of course. Do you think they were filled with fear? They were definitely filled with fear. Absolutely. I, I think fear kept fear. What I witnessed being on a, on literally on my deathbed is that when you're in that position, when you're literally very sick, like cancer type sick, or you are, you know, literally fighting for your life on your deathbed, um, you, you will find out very quickly who, who is there for you because when somebody truly, truly, truly from the depths of their soul cares about you, um, that you being on your deathbed is not enough for their fear to keep them from you. Right. Like their own fear of their own mortality. That's not enough. You know what I mean? Like if you think of the person you love the most in the world, if something happened to them, you would never be like, well, I'm afraid for my own life. So let me just like, let them be on their own. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like you only really do that if you truly did not feel that connection with that person. And what I learned was that my whole life, part of why I felt like I never fit in was that I, I lived my life by default and I really had people around me that I just grew to be comfortable with. But when I really analyzed the friendship, it really was not two way. Right. It was not a reciprocal relationship. And, and that was a hard thing that I had to come to terms with, um, after my transplant really. So it's really been out of the past two years. And so what I've really done the past two years is, um, 
I, I've created a new life for myself. And so what's amazing is I get to choose now. I get to choose the energies that are around me. I get to choose the vibrations. I no longer need to say, well, you live in my hometown and we happen to like the same movies. So you're now my best friend. Right. Like, no, now it's, I really like you, but I may not like your energy around me every day. Right. So that's one of the reasons you're flourishing the way you are today. Yes. Absolutely. It's literally, that is, that is everything. (laughs) I mean, it really is. And that's one of the things that I tell so many entrepreneurs. So you've probably seen on like my Facebook post a lot. I talk a lot about momentum and, and mindset. Yes. And the reason that I can move so fast in my business, meaning that, um, I'm achieving results quickly. And, and moving up. So when you're an entrepreneur, you know, not only do you want to achieve results, but you also you want to be expanding your network. You want to be building authority, right? There's, there's certain levels that you want to be able to take your business at so that you can be sustainable. Yes, of course. Right. And what used to take people years to do with this business, thanks to technology, we can do it a lot faster, but you also emotionally have to be able to move that fast. Right. And so part of how I'm able to excel, you know, um, uh, accelerate so fast is because I have literally cleared my vibration. I have removed the negativity. I have removed the people that um, maybe they're not mean to you, but you can tell behind the scenes, you know, they're, they're kind of not really liking your posts because they don't really want you to succeed. You know, you, mm. I, I can feel, and most people can feel the energy of those who aren't really rooting for you as you're winning. <laughs> yes. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And then a man came along, you met this person, you obviously shared the same kind of energy and, and felt good about his vibration. And the person I'm thinking about is Grant Cardone. Tell me about how that happened. Oh my gosh. So that was, um, so that was literally, I met him a few months after I got back from my heart transplant. And, um, and like I said, I just, you know, without getting into too much of the detail, but I, I I just saw people around me just collapse. They they couldn't handle the fact that I had been sick for so many years and then had this like miracle heart transplant, but I had complications during the transplant. And so it led me to being back on life support another three months. Um, and so by the time I got home from the hospital, the heart was great, but my body once again had just been flat in a bed for three months, which meant all of my muscles had atrophied. Right. The people around me could not handle it. They they were just done. They couldn't Mm. handle it. Mm. And I still to this day don't know what happened. I like, I, I really haven't gotten explanations, nothing. They just really disappeared. Um, they tried to come back after I took care of myself, you know, but, um, when I needed them most, they weren't there. And I I reached a point, you know, I just remember being with my husband and just every once in a while, I would just burst into tears or get really angry and just be like, gosh, I've been like there for these people their whole lives. 
Like, wh- how how hard is it to just pick up a phone and say, how are you doing? I'm so glad after all these years that you made it. It <laughs> must have been just crushing. It was devastating. Devastating. I really, I, I sunk. I, I didn't know how I was going to get through it. And I remember one day just having, you know, and, and tapping into a lot of times when I'm confused, I will actually sit quiet myself and I'll say, Sherry, you know that when life gets tough, it's because you're not meant to figure it out on the 3d level, on the third dimensional level of life. So I will always get quiet. Once I remember that I will get quiet. And what I do when I get quiet now is I literally just tap into, um, I, I jump my body back into heaven basically. And I ask for answers in heaven. I mean, that's literally what I do to be honest. And I say, um, I need help guys. That's what I do. And would you describe that as a way of really reaching your own form of true mindfulness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I can get really, really deep about heaven and what heaven really is. (laughs) And and I haven't yet really on podcasts because I know that my journey is, um, it's a lot for people to grasp. And um, I've found that I've had to share my story in stages. But um, there is a whole part, which is really the last phase of how I, I will be sharing my, my journey into heaven, where I really do talk about how, um, you know, this, everything is, is, it's almost like this holographic graphic universe. And so heaven really isn't a there, you know, it's not a place, um, but it, it's, 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 everything is in the mind. And, um, and it goes very deep. It can go very deep into quantum physics and all of that stuff. But yes, um, to answer your question, really, I, I say that I'm going to heaven and I'm asking for help there from them. But the truth is you're asking yourself. Right. You're going within and you're tapping into your own inner guidance, which will never, ever fail you. Ever. So how do you release yourself and allow yourself to go there, to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's, it's so natural now. Um, for anybody else, it, it really comes down to, um, I mean, I want to say stilling the mind, but the, you know, I, I'm sure everybody's heard that a, a lot. So from a more practical standpoint, you've got to get yourself in a place where there's just no distractions. Even if it's just five minutes a day, um, even if it means you've got to say to somebody, can you watch my kids for 15 minutes? I'll, I got to, I got to go. I got to just go sit by a tree for a minute and then I'll be back. But you, you, you can't do it when people are around, you really just can't, it's gotta be you and you alone. And what, um, and here's a big thing that I 
forgot to mention about when I was healing all those years at the lake is that what I discovered was that life became so easy the minute that I, I just never forget. I was sitting in my car one day at the lake and it just hit me how peaceful I was. And when I dug deeper into it, I said to myself, I have nobody right now in my life because I'm literally just by myself at the lake every day healing, right? Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, I literally don't have anybody else's voice in my ear. And I feel so free. And I really dove into that more. And, and you know, as those years went on on the bionic heart, I eventually got placed on a, a heart transplant list. And I was terrified, just terrified of the thought, what? Not only do you now want to pull out my life support, now you want to put a new heart in me and take out my original heart. Like that alone was a whole other thing that I had to mentally get used to. I bet it was. I bet it was. And how did yeah. you work through that? So it really was realizing that um, because what happened was I started telling some people and people got all caught up in the fact that, well, I died. Mm -hmm. And so she came back to life. Now she can heal herself. So she doesn't need a heart transplant. So emotionally what happened was when I said to everybody, the test came back and it shows that the doctors are not comfortable just removing this bionic heart. They said, my heart is just not strong enough to, to have recovered fully and that I would need a heart transplant. When I told everybody, I had some people stop talking to me. I had some people say, no, that's wrong. I had judgment after judgment. Now, this is coming from years now. I had judgment when I got cancer from the people around me. I had judgment when I died. I had judgment on the bionic heart. Now I'm getting judgment on the heart transplant. And I think I was just sitting at that lake after telling people that I needed a heart transplant and they had the nerve to make it all about them and how they knew what was best for my heart. <laughs> mm. Like as if they were a surgeon. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. and it just flooded into my system how ridiculous all of this has been. Yes. Do you know it what I'm sounds, saying? I do. It sounds yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Sherry, I want to ask you a question about your health. I know even long before you experienced these health challenges, you yeah. were into healthy eating and healthy living. And then yeah. you were diagnosed with cancer and you were faced with doctors saying, well, you needed chemo. Well, that's not part of healthy living usually. How right. did you make that decision and transition through that and make the decision to get chemotherapy? Well, you know, it's funny because I was so heavily into this really extreme holistic um, environment. And now I see how extreme it was. It was very unhealthy, ex extreme, excuse me. And um, the judgment, you know, in that community, you know, if, oh my God, it's just so extreme. When I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, it's crazy. Like, if you weren't exactly vegan, oh my God, you know, there's communities even on Facebook, like 
man, sometimes the vegans and the vegetarians would just go at it. Like, wow. you know, and I remember thinking, okay, we're all in this spiritual community, but now we're fighting. Now we're, yes. really, now we're angry and throwing names and, and judging and demeaning other people. And I remember, um, when I got sick, I got a lot of backlash, you know, and all of a sudden I wasn't good enough for everybody. Like, how dare you get sick? Like, clearly you messed up. Clearly it was because you, you know, let's say I was vegan. Clearly you messed up because you weren't vegetarian, right? Right. I was vegetarian. Clearly you messed up because you weren't vegan, right? Right. Like, there, you couldn't have won. I mean, um, and I experienced that. And I just remember being like, that is so unsupportive in this time right now. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even funny. Like that is so, and I would have like best friends look at me and be like, you know, you caused this cancer, right? Oh, wow. And I just remember, do I really deserve that? You know, and, and that didn't, this realization didn't come till much later, but this, I was battling more other people's opinions than whether or not I was actually frightened over what I was about to uh, experience, which was chemo. Right. Same with the heart transplant. I had to realize any fears I had, to be honest, were mostly other people's fears because at the heart of it, Bruce, when you live in the present moment, when you fully tap into who you are, when you know you are pure love, A, you didn't do anything wrong and B, you're always okay. The the judgments come from these labels, these limited labels. So somebody gets cancer in the body and instead of just being like, oh let's like let's pour love and support and let's rally as a village behind our loved one and just fill them up with so much radiant love and joy through this time. Wow, I love that. And that is your mission, isn't it, Sherry? Yes, that is so my mission, Bruce, right? Yes. And and I, I and I understand it and which is why I can show up like this so powerfully online because I truly believe that is how you're going to shift things. That's how we can heal each other. It's not by throwing up all these judgments and and blaming and and creating shame. You know, shame and and feeding upon this, you know, no matter how spiritual you call yourself, if you are doing that to another person or community, somebody that does not um, align with your values, you are creating an environment of shame. And it's not loving. Right. It's, It's not loving. So I always say, what? If we treated cancer and didn't label it like that person, that's their death sentence. What if that, what if the natural reaction of humans were, now we get an opportunity to really love someone and support them. Like literally, what if our brains were rewired as a society where when somebody gets sick, our vibration heightens 
That's a great thought. I really like that, Sherry. And, and you know, we're fortunate, Mindful Tribe, you're fortunate because Sherry has put all these thoughts and ideas together into a book that she's written. Tell us about the mindfulness required to actually put this down on paper, Sherry. It's such an interesting process to write because I, I literally feel like what, and this is the truth, is Everything I learned in heaven um, is that we've had it all backwards. We're kind of addressing and going about life all backwards, which is why people are so stressed, which is why people are so unhappy, you know, which is why the depression rate is so high. Um, Suicide alone is so high. And it's really because we need to unlearn so many of these thoughts and learn behavior patterns that have nothing to do with who we are. And what's interesting is to be crafting uh, crafting this message in a way that I feel like does it justice to the expansiveness of where my message and my heart is coming from. And then I have to find this way to translate it into like third dimensional terms, which is all about labels and, and limitations. Um, so it's such an interesting process and it's a very similar process I have to how I explain the expansiveness of what I experienced in heaven. Um, the moment it comes out of my mouth, it is already diminished. Mm. And that took a long time for me to come to terms with that. Right. But my hope is that, and this is why I use my voice so much, because I feel that when people hear me, share, you know, or they feel my, my heart through my writing, my creative writing, I will take you into a place that allows you to feel what I'm talking about more than trying to understand it with your mind. I see. Yes. That, that makes sense. Sherry, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I've seen how mindfulness can make a huge difference in that area. Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us? Maybe you were bullied or someone you know where mindfulness would have made a huge difference? Yes, absolutely. Um, I definitely can think of two incidences, um, both growing up um, – one was a, a best friend of mine, believe it or not. You know, there again, one of those things where um, I accepted a behavior for way too long, um, extreme bullying. I mean, th- this person was a definitely a class bully. It's crazy, you know, to think back at some of the things this person got away with. Mindfulness absolutely would have helped. I, I always felt like when I got bullied that... I had done something. And to be honest and to be fair, when I would go to the guidance counselor at the time, they would pull us both in. And, you know, the the bully would would go through this whole, they would start crying, you know, and make it about them. 
Right. And so I look like I was maybe, well, maybe you're misinterpreting. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think so. This person just pushed me in front of a moving bus. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, you know, misinterpreted that. But it was kind of, I don't know, I guess like sometimes now I'm like, how did an adult like do that? But I, I guess in schools, the, I think they're just still struggling with, with how to handle it. Um, and back then it was like, they didn't even like consider it. They were just like, whatever, go make up. Right. And what I what I know is that um, the the guidance counselor would say, like, well, what did you do to invoke that? Right. And so if I was more aware of who I was and my own self-worth and my own powerful beauty as a soul. I, I wouldn't have a allowed that kind of behavior and I would not have continued to allow somebody like that to even be considered a friend. Right. Right. Um, and the other scenario that I was bullied in was more family related and it was a tougher situation because I couldn't just get up and walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's a tough one. Um, I was very mindful. I, I was, and that's probably why I was such an introvert as well as I, I knew I always had to go, you know, into my room and kind of stay quiet and just be with myself. But I think the, the thoughts of, of who I was, I knew deep down, even when I was younger, I, I, I knew I was beauty. I knew I was love. But what my young mind kept thinking was, what do I know? I'm young and nobody else around me is telling me this. I must have just been born on the wrong planet in the wrong time. Oh, wow. And that's what I always thought growing up. Because Mm -hmm. I didn't have a podcast like this. Right. It could be like, yes, this is how I feel. Like, okay, somebody else is talking about that. I didn't have that literally until, like I said, I started training in meditation and I started meeting people like my meditation teacher or going to my meditation class and meeting other people and be like, oh, you feel like that too. Okay. You know, so the blessing is that technology really has allowed us to connect with so many people across the globe that we now we can relate to somebody somebody on this planet has a similar story to us and that is literally the beauty of technology so absolutely mindfulness and literally connecting even if it's just through a podcast connecting with other people and knowing that you're not alone in feeling that absolutely Right. Sherry, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? I, my meditation teacher um, that I had um, up until the day I died, she, she, really, she, she was the one that really helped me put into place all those thoughts I was thinking. Yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? 
allowed me to stabilize my emotions, to manage them more effectively, um, and to handle stress. Absolutely. And how has breathing been a part of your mindfulness practice? Oh, breathing is a huge part of my mindfulness practice. I always utilize deep breathing. It allows me to go deeper into that um, meditation practice. I highly, highly recommend it. And if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Um, definitely A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Excellent. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? The only map, uh, apps I've really used for that has been Carolyn uh, uh, Mace. So it's Carolyn, and then her last name is M-Y-S-S. Absolutely love her. She's another great one that's really helped me to come into, she talks a lot about grace um, and mindfulness. So I highly recommend her as well. So she's got a great app um, that you can search for. Excellent. Sherry, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about your heaven and your mindfulness and where you've been and just so many ways that you're sharing with Mindful Tribe in all of this. But tell us, how can we connect with you and learn more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love for all of you to connect with me. Um, and I actually have a private uh, Facebook community. So if you go to Facebook and you just do a search right in the search bar for hashtag live big, be happy. Um, you can also just type in the URL box in your browser, facebook.com slash groups slash live big, be happy. And I can approve you. Um, I'm in there. I'm active in my community every day, Bruce, you're in there with us. Yes. And, um, and for more information as well, you can go to my website, which is, um, Sherry That's C H E R I E A I M E E.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here and sharing today, Sherry. This has been a real pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, Bruce. This has felt so peaceful and relaxing. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to share this part of my story because I haven't yet. And um, I'm really grateful for, for this type of conversation. So thank you. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Our listeners will love it. You take care and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.